0: In the spoken meditation, Karen shared about experiencing the intersection of many different identities at UU General Assembly. And one of the identities that Karen named for herself was elder. In a society often uh, obsessed with these unrealistic ideals around youth, perhaps that's not a bad answer to the question of what do you want to be when you grow up? an elder with a connotation not only of being older than i once was but also of being wiser as the saying goes our invitation is to move from merely aging to saging have you ever been in the middle of a meeting especially a heated debate and heard an elder speak In the midst of sparks flying and wounded egos battling, I've seen elders speak words of wisdom born out of a lifetime of experience that suddenly calmed the storm of debate, diffused the tension in the room, and allowed a community to move forward together instead of divided. Elders serve as a ballast in the ship, the heavy material placed low in the vessel that gives it stability. Part of what gives an elder gravitas is the perception that they are speaking authentically, with the interest of the whole community at heart, without self-interest, without ulterior motive. To give a contrasting example, in the spoken meditation, Jerry mentioned the fairly contentious debate at General Assembly that consumed a lot of oxygen about this proposed business resolution on UUA investment practices regarding corporations involved in the occupation of Palestine. It would take far, far, far too much time to give you all the details and nuances, but I generally agree with Jerry's evaluation of the problems with the proposals. To me, the whole extended effort felt like the opposite of wisdom, not for the least of which reasons that the UUA has already screened out the corporations in question, making the whole time-consuming effort seem, at least to me and, and others, moot. Wisdom does not come easily. As a mentor once told me, maturity does not come automatically with age. It demands ongoing work on the part of each individual. That same mentor recommended an excellent book that I've always been grateful that I read. It's a 1961 book um, called On Becoming a Person by the psychologist Carl Rogers. I invite you to hear just one excerpt from that book that Rogers writes about how can you discern if you're moving generally in the right direction, a journey toward maturity, toward becoming an elder, toward becoming wise. He writes that an individual who is becoming mature and wise is moving toward being knowingly and acceptingly the process. And I think that's an important word, not just who you are, but moving toward being the process. We're always in process, we're always becoming of who you inwardly and actually are. That person is moving away from being who they are not, from being a facade. And that person is not trying to be more than they are with the attendant feelings of insecurity or bombastic defensiveness. But just as you're not trying to be more than you are, you're also not trying to be less than you are with the attendant feelings of guilt and self-deprecation. So that person moving toward maturity and toward wisdom is increasingly listening to the deepest recesses of their um, physiological and emotional being and finding themselves increasingly willing to be, with greater accuracy and depth, that self which they truly are. And by embracing who we are, we are able to be in this world with increasing authenticity and wisdom. And this idea of seeking wisdom appeals to me. It's part of why I was a double major in college, not only in religion, but also in philosophy. That word philosophy, philia sophia, literally means love, philia, and sophia, wisdom, a love of wisdom that humans have developed through the ages. A similar love of wisdom is part of what draws me to Unitarian Universalism. Permission to not limit myself to only one religious tradition, but instead encouragement to draw from any or all of our six sources, the best of the world's religions balanced with the insights of modern science, as well as my own direct experience, what I know to be true because I've experienced it for myself. To draw from all of that for whatever offers us wisdom for living in our 21st century, globalized, pluralistic, postmodern world. A related love of wisdom, of drawing from a variety of sources, led to inviting Krista Tippett, the host of the popular uh, radio show, on being, uh, formerly called Speaking of Faith, to deliver this year's Ware Lecture at UU General Assembly. She shared anecdotally that they did a survey of uh, their radio audience, and about 10% of their audience is UUs, which is significantly higher than UUs are in the general population. Um, Tippett's new book is titled Becoming Wise, An Inquiry into the Mystery and Art of Living. And regarding her own journey toward becoming wiser, Tippett writes in the opening sentences that I'm a person who listens for a living. I listen for wisdom and for beauty and for voices who aren't shouting to be heard. In my training to become a spiritual director, I was taught that one definition of spiritual direction is the practice of listening someone else into speech. Of listening someone into speech. Have you ever experienced that of someone being so fully present to you, so deeply listening to you in a way that you found yourself articulating insights that were new to you? Not just saying those same things you've already known, but found yourself with this container, this time in your space where new insights were emerging for you. When was the last time you set aside your own agenda, thinking about what you were going to say next, to listen to someone else that deeply, to listen someone else into speech? Tippett describes her approach to interviewing as generous listening. What might we learn from Tippett about how we might listen more generously to sources of wisdom in our world? She writes that generous listening is powered by curiosity. It involves a kind of vulnerability, a willingness to be surprised, to let go of assumptions, and to take in ambiguity. The listener wants to understand the humanity behind the words of the other and patiently summons one's own best self and one's own best words and questions. So at the end of a tragic week in this nation, what occasions might you have in the coming days and weeks to offer generous listening to others, particularly to others who are not like you? How might we also cultivate more opportunities in which all of us might experience the gift of being fully heard? We must also continue to ask ourselves, to whom are we listening? One of the many reasons that the Black Lives Matter movement is so important is that in the founding document of our country, Article 1, Section 2 of our Constitution, right there at the beginning, not too many lines after, we the people, It says that we count black lives as only three-fifths of a person. That law was not changed until 1868 with the 14th Amendment. Even then, women could not vote until 1920 with the passage of the 19th Amendment. We need to increasingly listen generously to women, to people of color, to other oppressed groups if we were to have any hope of dismantling systems of oppression that are imprisoning us all in a descending cycle of violence in which we are all caught. We we need to learn different ways from each other. As Audre Lorde said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. We've got to talk to each other to figure out a better way forward. Consider these statistics reported recently in the Washington Post. About two thirds, about sixty-six percent of Black Americans say that they support Black Lives Matters. Among uh, um, support the Black Lives Matter movement among White Americans, support for the protest movement drops to about forty percent. Black and White Americans also disagree about whether there is work to be done for Blacks to achieve equal rights. Eighty-eight percent of Black respondents say there is, compared with fifty-three percent of Whites. About 58% of black Americans say that there is too little attention paid to racial issues in America, while 41% of white Americans say there is too much attention paid to racial issues in America. One more. And while 40% of black Americans say that systemic racism is the bigger problem, that it's the system that's broken, 70% of white Americans insist the bigger issue is racist incidents based just on the prejudice of individuals. To add just a little bit of data to these perceptions, a recently completed three-year study reported in the New York Times showed that although officers employ force in less than 2% of police-civilian interactions, the use of police force is disproportionately high. We have the data to show that for African Americans, more than three times greater than for whites. We need to listen generously to one another across cultural divides because we experience this world differently. This world interacts with us differently. Along these lines, I was heartened to read the many dissents this term written by the relatively new Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor which showed her deep engagement with both the history of the African-American experience in this country and her awareness of the Black Lives Matter movement. Among the many sources quoted in her dissents included W.E.B. Du Bois' The Souls of Black Folk, James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in an Age of Colorblindness, and Ta-Nehisi Coates' book Between the World and Me. If you're interested in a deeper understanding of what's going on underneath the surface of the Black Lives Matter movement, a good so- starting point might be those books that Justice Chotomayor chose to listen generously to as sources of wisdom for our countries, about our country's past, for our country's present and future. Perhaps the most accessible way, might, accessible way might be to read them in reverse chronological order, starting with the most recently and moving back to those 19th century books. But it's worth reminding ourselves that racism is real in the same way that Wednesday is real. It's also made up in the same way that Wednesday is made up. And it's as, at least as hard to get rid of as it would be to get rid of Wednesday and our way of thinking about that. Learning about the ways that racism is a social construction can empower our work in dismantling racism and to realize that if history got us there, we can start to live in such a way to tear it down. We know that race is a social construction because science has shown us that all of us humans are 99.9 plus percent identical on the DNA level. Race is a social concept, not a scientific one. We all evolved in the last 100,000 years from the same small number of tribes that migrated out of Africa and colonized the world. There's only one race, the human race. But our mind and our history have created false divisions. But despite what science tells us about this universal kinship, there are powerful forces in our world perpetuating this illusion that racial differences are more than skin deep. And given that history, we must affirm that black lives matter. For now, I'll leave you with one final quote from Krista Tippett's book. She reminded me of an important quote from the 20th century theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote, that the person who's in love with their vision of community will destroy community. But the person who loves people, that person will create community everywhere they go. Here at UUCF, as we seek to build a beloved community, both within and beyond these walls, through generous listening, through acting for peace and justice, Bonhoeffer's words can help us as we seek to be present to an increasingly wide diversity of people. Let us remember that the person who's in love, if you're just in love with your vision of what you think beloved community looks like, you will destroy communities in your wake. But if you love the people, the real, actual fullness of the human beings who are sitting beside you and around you, you will create beloved community wherever you go.